Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Guha Krishnamurti, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Maryland. We'll be discussing his new paper, Title VII and Caste Discrimination, which was recently published in the Harvard Law Review Forum. I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Guha, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This is so great. Thank you for coming on. I was really excited to see this paper because it speaks at a deep level to an issue that I've been reading about in the popular press, a form of workplace discrimination that may not be as familiar to a lot of listeners, and that's caste discrimination. Before we get into some of the workplace settings of caste discrimination, I wondered if you could introduce the concept of caste. Is this a historic, a religious concept? Is it ethnic? Is it racial? Is it geographic? What is the status of caste in South Asia? And could you give us just a little bit of an overview of this concept? The caste system is usually referring to the South Asian caste system. And you've pressed on some really important questions about it. Is it historical? Is it religious? And the answer is, it seems to be both. It's a controversial sort of question. What comes first? (laughs) Is it religious connections or is it connections with the underlying culture? And as a result, scholars have found defining the caste system in particularity, the South Asian caste system, really difficult. Usually there are a few core features that kind of make up the caste system. One is there's hereditary transmission and endogamy. Two, there are strong relationships with religious and social practice interaction. Three, there's strong relationships with concepts of purity and pollution. And finally, there's a hierarchical ordering. That hierarchical ordering can be rather complex but it occurs through perceived superiority of dominant castes over oppressed castes. There are hierarchies of occupation associated with caste, and there's discrimination and stigmatization of oppressed castes. Now, the caste system in South Asia is ancient, and as a result, it has ties with the sort of religious systems that also existed in South Asia in antiquity, principally Hinduism or other indigenous religions that are under the umbrella of the term Hinduism. But one thing we have seen in South Asia is that the caste system has found root in all of the religions in South Asia, including in Islam and in Christianity and in Sikhism. So we have the South Asian caste system really manifest in all of the religious traditions that are in South Asia. You say that this is a really ancient practice. There's a long provenance of this practice. To what extent is it still practiced today in South Asian countries? And is it also found or is it also practiced in the South Asian diaspora in the United States? One big feature of the Indian independence and Indian constitutionalization movement 
was a concerted effort for the eradication of caste. The Indian constitution was drafted by B.R. Ambedkar, a caste reformer. So a big feature in the constitution was an article to eradicate caste. Nevertheless, we see that the caste system is so strongly embedded in cultural and religious practice that we see that it has endured. And we continually see caste discrimination crop up in South Asia. I was speaking about India in particular, but the caste system and caste discrimination are found in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Nepal to various extents. And we will often see stories in the news about discrimination against Nalans, whether it be in employment discrimination, housing discrimination, or even stories where Dalits are not allowed to bury their dead and they're not allowed to conduct a funeral and there will be some kind of protest as associated with that. So we do see caste discrimination come up in India quite frequently, even though there's been a concerted effort to eliminate caste. As for the diaspora, caste discrimination does exist in the diaspora. The extent to which it exists is controversial. There have been dueling surveys that we can talk a little bit more about, about the extent of discrimination in the diaspora. But what we are seeing from the testimony of individuals that belong to oppressed caste is that they do experience caste discrimination. And so I think it's incumbent on us to really be vigilant and take their claims seriously. In your last comments, you used a term, Dalits, and I wondered if you could dig a little bit more into just what that term means and what it means to be with that tier of the caste system. That's a super helpful question. So in the South Asian caste system, there is a very complex ordering. And Dalits are the tier of the caste system known as the untouchables or outcasts. And Dalit is a term that was used by individuals of that oppressed status to self-describe. Other than Dalits, there is a kind of complex ordering of many different castes. Those have often been lumped together in four categories. Brahmins, a priestly class, Kshatriyas, a sort of warrior ruling class, Vaishyas, a merchant class, and Shudras, a menial labor caste. Now, as I alluded to, the actual ordering of the caste system transcends these four categories. There are thousands and thousands of castes, and how they relate to each other, how they are ordered, is contested and very difficult to figure out. But one thing is that the Dalit tier, these outcasts, and these Dalits were usually part of professions that were considered ritually impure. For example, butchering, cobblering, provision of funereal rites, 
these castes, members who belonged to these sort of outcasts, they were called untouchables because dominant caste individuals viewed them as impure and that touching them would result in pollution, which was just a horrible state of affairs and really terrible stigmatization and oppression. The thing that drew me to this paper is the setting of caste discrimination in the workplace in the U.S. I think that's perhaps the intersection for a podcast about business. I wondered if you could talk about how caste discrimination or how caste itself might manifest in corporate America and how big a problem is it? That's a great question. We saw this come out through a case involving Cisco Systems in which an employee, Dalit individual, a John Doe plaintiff, alleged that he had been discriminated against by his managers as a result of his caste. He said that he had been denied working on projects. And when he raised the issue that he was retaliated against by his dominant caste manager. And afterwards, we saw a number of individuals, including in a Washington Post story, come out and say that they had experienced similar kinds of discrimination based on their caste. The extent of the problem is difficult to figure out. So Equality Labs put out a survey that actually showed that a number of individuals of Dalit and oppressed status in the caste system had experienced caste discrimination in the workplace and in housing and many other arenas of life. Then the Carnegie Institute put out a survey and they showed markedly less caste discrimination experienced by Indian Americans. But even that survey showed a significant amount of discrimination, especially if you read through the lines by oppressed caste individuals. I wonder if it would be helpful perhaps to translate or to analogize caste discrimination to forms of workplace discrimination that are perhaps more familiar, that are already represented in workplace discrimination and harassment policies and efforts to combat that discrimination. So I wondered if we could talk a little bit about how caste discrimination might intersect with other forms of discrimination, like racial or ethnicity or national origin, religious discrimination. How should we be thinking about those potential intersections? Yes. I think one way of thinking about it first is just to talk out a kind of example of caste discrimination in the workplace. One sort of prototype of discrimination that I have heard about from attorneys thinking about bringing these cases or individuals who have experienced this kind of discrimination is an individual is in the workplace and another employee or manager determines what their caste is through sort of cultural markers or perhaps in the course of discussion and then spreads rumors about this individual suggesting that they are incompetent, not good at their job, or just outs them as belonging to an oppressed caste, which then reverberates with other employees who may have the same kind of biases. And another 
kind of thing that happens is, as we mentioned before, India has taken concerted efforts to eradicate caste and to remedy and rectify historical caste discrimination. One way it has done this is through essentially an affirmative action program in employment and government employment and higher education in India that is sometimes referred to as reservation. This includes quotas for oppressed castes. And one form of discrimination that I think we're seeing in the workplace, especially in the tech sector, is when an individual from an oppressed caste went to a prestigious institution. For example, the Indian Institutes of Technology, which are very prestigious engineering institutes in India, their accomplishments may be denigrated as though they were a reservation admin, that they had gotten in only because of this affirmative action program. And we can think about that analog in our sort of American experience. If someone said of an individual who's of a disadvantaged minority, perhaps they're black, they said, oh, they only went to that Ivy because of affirmative action. If you said that in the workplace, I think it would be pretty clear that would be an instance of racial discrimination. And similarly, to denigrate somebody's achievements who belongs to an oppressed caste as only because they were a affirmative action or reservation admit, I think is similarly wrongful discrimination that should be rectified in the workplace. You mentioned that you've spoken with some attorneys who have considered bringing cases around caste discrimination. So that might lead to the question, is caste discrimination illegal in the United States? After all, the term caste or the concept caste isn't expressly mentioned in the typical civil rights statutes like Title VII or state-level equivalents. How should we think about the legality or the illegality of caste discrimination in this country? This is the paper that I co-authored with Sharanya Krishnaswamy arguing that Title VII does have the textual resources to recognize caste discrimination. And as Title VII has some particular terms in it, including prohibits discrimination based on one's race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. In our paper, we argue that race and national origin are capacious enough to include caste and depending on the facts of the particular case, so might religion. Let me take what I think is the strongest argument first, that's race. And you might think, is caste race? And this is a scholarly question that has, again, raised a lot of controversy and it's contentious. I think race and caste aren't super closely related. That is our sociological concept of race. Caste likely transcends race in South Asia, goes past different racial categories. There's not a clear sort of association between race and caste. That said, in the context of Title VII, race actually means something more like ancestry or heritage. And there are the case Al-Khazaraji was a case that involved discrimination against an Arab individual. And in that case, 
the Supreme Court, just some background on that case. At the time, Arab ancestry was understood under the term Caucasian as a racial category. And the defendant in that case, the employer, said Al-Khazraji couldn't be discriminated against on the basis of his race because he's Caucasian. And the Supreme Court recognized that discrimination based on Arab ancestry does count as racial discrimination because race for purposes of these statutes, these federal anti-discrimination statutes, means ancestry. As I was discussing before about the definition of caste, it really is tied to lineage and ancestry. And as a result, if one is experiencing discrimination based on their caste, they're experiencing discrimination based on their ancestry, which I think comes under the statutory term race. As courts perhaps confront cases of caste discrimination or as workplaces, as HR teams are confronting potential issues of caste discrimination and in the press reporting, it's been particularly concentrated in terms of reporting in the tech industry. As these institutions are confronting a new form of workplace discrimination, what advice do you have for how they should approach their own efforts to get smart about the issue and to address the issue? I have been involved in the legislative efforts to codify explicitly caste discrimination in California. So that's another avenue of protecting against caste discrimination through a legal regime. It's now likely to be explicitly part of California's anti-discrimination statute. Even though I've made arguments that both California and federal law probably already cover caste discrimination, it was still important to explicitly state that caste discrimination was covered because of the societal education, right? The benefits that people now know of this form of discrimination, which may have escaped their attention before. My biggest piece of advice to HR professionals and companies is to recognize that there is this form of discrimination that might have been under the radar before and to be vigilant of the ways in which that discrimination can manifest. To educate oneself about that, we really have to listen to individuals who've experienced those forms of discrimination and to listen to employees. To a standard way of doing this is to have company-wide meeting that says, look, we know we have this form of discrimination that's newly in the statute. We need to be vigilant about how to protect against it. And if you are experiencing that form of discrimination, please tell HR. And that can generate a sort of investigation of the facts in the particular cases of discrimination, but also just educate others to be vigilant for their colleagues, to make sure that their colleagues are protected in the workplace. What key takeaways would you like listeners to have from this interview and from the paper? I think the main takeaways are that there is this form of discrimination that has escaped much of our attention and that really that it is present in the United States to some extent and to whatever extent that is too much. 
and also that the legal regimes, the anti-discrimination statutes in the United States, are capacious enough to recognize and remedy this form of discrimination. And I should note that we have focused on South Asian caste discrimination, but what's come out of the efforts to prohibit caste discrimination legally is that there are other forms of caste discrimination not related to the South Asian caste, that there are caste systems globally. And so my final point is really that I hope the efforts to recognize caste discrimination go beyond and are used to recognize other forms of global discrimination that might be a finding foot on, in our nation and that this can generate a further vigilance to protect people in the workplace and housing and other forms of public life. Our guest today has been Guha Krishnamurti, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Maryland. We've discussed his new paper, Title VII and Caste Discrimination, which was recently published in the Harvard Law Review Forum. I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Guha, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is really wonderful. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.